Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much for your support. We worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. here at St. John's Lutheran Church in the heart of downtown Martinsburg, West Virginia. Know that you're always welcome to our table and to our worship. God bless. And we hope you enjoy today's message. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish. I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and the voice from the cloud and a voice, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Maybe seen by your children up. So this is the first time I've been here on Transfiguration in like four years. So because every we've Diane and I were looking at it, every it always seemed like Transfiguration worked well for a pulpit exchange today. So um, this is kind of exciting. I haven't really got to talk to you about Transfiguration since I think I first came here. And even then, I'm not even sure I got to do that. So I found I have a really profound statement to tell you all that I've realized this week. The Transfiguration of our Lord occurs every single year. Okay, it's not as profound as I thought. And I'm sure some of you are probably thinking, well, good job, Pastor, for pointing out the obvious. I'm glad that seminary education worked out for you. But maybe more profound is that the Transfiguration wasn't always the last Sunday before Lent. It's been 500 years since we made that change, but you know, as Lutherans, we don't like change. So some of us are still dealing with that change, that move. And it wasn't always a feast day. The Western churches have only declared a feast day since the 9th century. And the Eastern Rite has had it as a feast day since the 4th century. So, respectively, there have been 900 years and 400 years of time when this wasn't a feast day in the church. And in the Eastern calendar, Transfiguration is on August 6th, not the Sunday before Easter. And if I'm not mistaken, Roel, correct me if I'm wrong, I still believe the, the Catholics, our Catholic brothers and sisters, don't celebrate Transfiguration on the Sunday before Lent, right? No, it's a, yeah, so... Um, that's still the case. They, our Catholic brothers and sisters celebrate the Transfiguration, the Feast of Transfiguration on August 6th. Luther, though, was the one who argued that we should celebrate Transfiguration the last Sunday in Epiphany. And it has been on this Sunday for as long as any of us can remember, unless some of you are over 500 years old. And it really serves as a nice bookend to the, the season after Epiphany. You start with the baptism of our Lord which is also the same color as our altar vestments, and then you end with the transfiguration. You also have 
Today, Jesus appearing on a mountain, transfigured, and on the last Sunday of Easter, the ascension of our Lord, you have Jesus on a different mountain, ascending into heaven. This makes liturgical OCD nerds like myself very happy. We like these nice, clean bookends. But the challenge of the day, with a feast day that occurs every single year, how do you not get stuck in a preaching rut? How do you not say the same thing over and over again? Because it's very easy. And I've often said the hardest days to preach are on Christmas and Easter. The more fun, the easier days to preach are those during ordinary time. When we have these, the parables and these weird stories from Jesus. And of course, Sunday attendance is always at its lowest when I have my best sermons. Which just doesn't seem fair at all. And I'm sure many of you have heard the same sermon over and over again on this feast day. Jesus coming down from the mountain to be with us. I think I've preached that many times over. And I've definitely heard it many times growing up. So how does one get out of this preaching rut? First thing is you ask, what is speaking to you in this text? What stands out to you? When I read the Bible, I always look for the weird things. Things that are usually out of place. Because that's typically where God is present. So what's so weird about the transfiguration story? Jesus' clothes turning dazzling white. It's strange. I don't really call it weird. I mean, Jesus is God. He can do some pretty amazing things. He fed 5,000 people. Let the, he's let the lame walk, the dumb speak. The leopards are made clean. Bleaching his clothes white. That's literally the Greek translation. You can breach your clothes white at home. That's nothing miraculous. It's a little bit strange that Jesus does it, but it's certainly not weird. And quite frankly, sermons about this have already been done before. So what else is weird? Moses and Elijah appearing. I mean, it's strange. I mean, how do they know it's, how do Peter, James, and John know it's Moses and Elijah? It wasn't exactly photographs back then for them to have any frame of reference. I've often wondered if maybe Moses and Elijah had, um, hello, my name is Elijah, hello, my name is Moses stickers on their clothes. Maybe they introduced themselves, it's not included in the Bible. It's strange that they would appear. But according to biblical tradition, Elijah would appear at the end of the age, so it's not a little realm possibilities for him to show up at this moment. It's strange that it happened. But also don't forget that Moses is the most important prophet in the Hebrew Bible. Not only that, but, but think about all we've been hearing for the past six weeks in Epiphany, this time after Epiphany, about the importance of the law and heeding the words of the prophet. We shouldn't be shocked to see these two, these two prophets here, because Jesus sounds all like Elijah. And Jesus said in Matthew, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. These two guys present might be a little strange, but certainly not weird. You want to know what's really weird that I found really weird in this text this week? The first three words of the gospel reading. Six days later. That's weird. Now maybe you're, you're thinking I've lost my mind at this point. The stress of ministry has become too great. The, the idea of a baby being born in less than two weeks has really taken over my thoughts. Pastor, you haven't slept for six days maybe. But six days later is a strange, it is a very strange f- phrase. 
it's not, it could just be that Matthew is telling us where we're at, giving us details in the story. But ask yourself this, why do we need to know this fact? Why do we need to know it's six days later? And where else have we heard the phrase six days later in the Bible? It's a very rare phrase. We hear three days later all the time. We hear 14 days. It's popular. And you also get seven days with seven days of creation. But six days later is a very rare phrase. I can probably count on one hand how many times it appears in the Bible. We heard today that Becky read about God, the cloud appearing on the Mount Sinai for six days before he gave the law. There's, there's six days of creation, of God actually physically working to create, and on the seventh day God rested. And God calls all those days, all those things that he's made good. And notice what Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. But as you know, the sixth day is not the end of the story of creation. God rests on the seventh day. So ask yourself this, is is the transfiguration the, the end of the story? Are we only left with shining Jesus here? No. Jesus comes off that mountain. He cures later on in Matthew's gospel. He cures a boy with a demon and then points himself to Jerusalem. This moment is not the moment in the gospel. This is not the end. This is only preparing us for what is to come. Salvation comes on the seventh day. When the people were in Egypt, God delivered them on the seventh day. The deliverance from Egypt was a salvific act. That is the justification given by God to rest on the Sabbath Not only because God rested on the Sabbath, but because God delivered the Israelites from the hands of their captors. What is Jesus going to do for us on the sixth day in just a few chapters from now? On that fateful Friday. See, Matthew is doing something here that is very subtle and weird. And he does it simply by reading us four significant words that we so often overlook on the sixth day. God speaks in the same way, using insignificant words, insignificant people, an insignificant time in the church year to speak to you and to reveal this incredible glimpse of God, how God is going to save the world, how God has saved the world, and how it happened on the sixth day. But the journey we're about to embark on isn't going to be easy. You will see things that will make you feel uncomfortable, that will make you feel uncomfortable and not very happy. We will have our sin called out. We will betray our friend and Savior. So take the advice given by God to the disciples. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The disciples are still trying to figure out how all of Christ's story fits together. What is he talking about with, with all this cross-bearing? Where is he going and why is he talking about leaving us, etc.? The disciples have no way of knowing what their future will hold beyond this point. But God has said one very clear message. Listen to him. I think about the trek down from the mountain, following this experience of how the disciples are simply just following their friend, Jesus putting one foot in front of the other, and they doing the same. Is that not what the Christian experience is all about? The only way we find God's will for us in the world is to listen to Christ. To put one foot in front of the other as we follow him off the mountain. For it's only through taking that next step that we will ever know what our God has in store for us. So keep taking that next step. 
brothers and sisters, keep putting one foot in front of the other this Lent. As you come off this mountaintop today, it might get rough. It might even get scary at times. I mean, on Wednesday night, we're going to trace ashes on your forehead and remind you of your mortality. I always think about Pastor Diane when she worked at Carol Lutheran Village in a retirement community. And when she did Ash Wednesday, she knew, both her and Chaplain Jimmy knew, that there were people that they were tracing ashes on who would not see Easter that year. Remember what you have seen and heard here today. And keep putting one foot in front of the other. And before you know it, you will meet Jesus on a different mountain. Still bearing the wounds of his crucifixion. Not angry at his followers for abandoning him. But rather blessing us. And delivering one last promise before his ascension to heaven. And remember, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age.